Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Wisdom's Echo. This is a daily podcast brought to you exclusively by Origin Gate. My name is Elijah Ward, and it's my incredible honor to share with you the treasure of what's been on my heart. You know, today is an awesome day. God is good. Life is beautiful. Christ has possessed the full measure of my being and has given, invigorated me with life and immortality and light. Everything is well. All is well. And I hope all is well with you too. I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. I've got several books and a notepad. I've got You know, just so much joy and expectation about what the Lord is doing um, that I wish I had an hour to record this podcast, but I'm going to make it work in less than 15 minutes. (laughs) So I want to share with you today about how to um, stay ready and to stay engaged, remaining engaged and postured um, to perceive the beauty of heaven in a day-to-day life that is often... um, almost kind of monotonized by just routine. You know, things feel so, um, uh, just the routine of things can sometimes almost bring this dull feeling to the way that we go about our lives. And every single day during our life with Yahweh should feel like um, absolute adventure. It should feel like our passion inside of us is burning to move us forward and and to step into um, everything that we're going to do that day. It might be the same job every day. It might be the same environment every day. You might walk down the same path or drive down the same road or sit in the same office and encounter the same people. But how do we in that place, um, in that place of routine, and what might feel like monotony, how do we remain postured to perceive the ever-present reality of heaven all around us? Because God is never asleep, and He's never unavailable because of the place where we're at. And so, I just want to read a story first before I get into some scripture and just um, tell you a couple things. You know, there's a uh, a story that I found on social media that... Um, that uh, a lot of people were sharing. And it when I read it, it struck me in a way that I've just not been struck like this in a while. It grabbed my heart and it kind of shook me up and challenged me. And so I want to read this brief story to you. It's about a page and a half. And then I want to tell you what I've been, what's been stirring in my heart as a result of this story. Um, so the story is as so. Um, at Wa- in Washington, D.C., at the metro station on a cold January morning in 2007, a man with a violin played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, approximately 2,000 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. After three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds, and then hurried to meet his schedule. Four minutes later... The violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw the money in the hat and without stopping continued to walk by. Six minutes later, a young man leaned against the wall to listen to him, then looked at his watch and started to walk away again. After 10 minutes, a three-year-old boy stopped, but his mother tugged, um, tugged him along hurriedly. The kid stopped to look at the violinist again, but the mother pushed hard and the child continued to walk, turning his head the whole time. This action was repeated by several other children. Every parent, without exception, forced their children to move on quickly. 
After 45 minutes, the musician played continuously. Only six people stopped and listened for a short while. About 20 of them gave money, but continued walking at their normal pace. The man in total collected about $32. After one hour, he finished playing and silence took over. No one noticed, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this. But that violinist that morning at Washington, at the Metro Station in Washington, D.C., was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where the seats averaged about $100 per seat. This is a true story. Joshua Bell played incognito in the metro station, and it was organized by the Washington Post as part of a social experiment about perception, taste, and people's priorities. The questions that were raised from this experiment were, in a commonplace environment and at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected context. And so the notes after this story, um, one of the kind of footnotes here says, one possible conclusion reached from this experiment could be this. If we don't have a moment even to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other things are we missing? Wow. And so this story grabbed me and shook me up. It made me realize, I thought about the whole thing in this context. The most beautiful sound I've ever heard is the sound of heaven. And so I altered these questions in my notes. I took some notes about this, um, and I said this, in a commonplace environment and at an inappropriate hour, do we stop to hear the sound of heaven? Do we appreciate it? Do we engage it? Do we consume it? Do we echo it even? And do we learn the sound so we can return the sound back to him? You know, so often the problem really isn't that God doesn't like to show up at times and um, in places of common regard, places where we're at every day. You know, it might feel like you don't ever encounter God at your office or in your cubicle or behind the counter at your place of work. You, it might feel like you don't encounter God in your house, in your bedroom, around your family, or maybe even at your church with the people that you are getting, that you've gotten most comfortable around. Sometimes we allow the fact that something is common to us to undermine the fact that there is holiness embedded everywhere we look throughout our daily life. And so the problem is that God doesn't show up in these um, places of common regard. It's that we don't, you know, it's that we treat our ever-present access to Him with a common regard. We consider it common. And that is a dangerous place to live because you will miss way too much. You know, it reminds me of the story of Elijah and Elisha. Um, I was reading the other day, um, you know, when it says that, um, I'm pulling over to this page here. 
I'm going to read a couple uh, verses here. So when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. That's a hungry question to ask. That's a massive request. But he had the faith to ask it. And here here was um, his response. He said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And so the the only requirement to satisfy the the extent of this incredible request that Elisha had was that he would be present enough and aware enough at all times to see Elijah when he was taken. And I thought about what it what would it take um, in order to be present when Elijah was taken. If I wanted to make sure that I saw someone as they ascended, what would I have to do? I would have to be with them every day, in every moment, even those common moments, at the breakfast table, in the car on the way to work. Um, in those moments that seem the most routine are those moments where you could miss the biggest requirement of the fulfillment of your scroll or the transmission of this anointing or this mantle or whatever it might be, however you want to put language to it. I know everyone speaks a different language, it seems like. Um, But you might miss, if you're not engaged in those moments of commonality, in those moments where it seems routine, you could miss a, a massive, massive portion of your scroll. And so, you know, it reminded me that there's a kingdom truth hidden in Scripture and it's something that has um, that has been a word to me for a long time and to my wife. We, we first started engaging in terms of our giving, but there's a portion of Scripture that teaches about how there, um, the difference or the opposite of holy is actually not unholy. It's the opposite of holy is not evil or twisted or wicked. It actually says that the opposite of holy is common. And so we find that in in two two places really. It's in Ezekiel, um, who gets a throne room tour from from this this being, um, seeing the construction of the temple, learning so much about the measurements and all this stuff, and the call of the priesthood. It, he, Yahweh shows him that he designed his heavens and commissioned his priests to reflect the fact that holiness is to treat everything that I am and that I have set in place as anything but common. And so. In Ezekiel chapter 42, um, in, uh, in verse 20, it's actually talking about the measurements of, um, of the, the temple, and the, in, the interior place of the temple. And it says in the very last part of um, verse 20 says that it's 500 cubits long and 500 cubits broad. And the reason why is to make a separation between the holy and the commons. The, um, the heavens are constructed to literally make a distinction between what's holy and what's common. And so in verse, um, I'm sorry, in chapter 44, one of my favorite chapters, it talks about the Levitical priesthood and the sons of Zadok and how the sons of Zadok were this, um, almost this branch of the priesthood that were faithful to keep Yahweh's charge when the nation of Israel went astray. And so they had been given a special place. They were called to Yahweh's table to approach him, to enter his sanctuary and to minister directly to Yahweh. So it's a beautiful kind of image of an intimate priesthood and an, a, a, a more a ministry of proximity, really. And one of the things they were charged with doing is in um, chapter 44, verse 23, it says, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. And so we see this pattern in scripture that if you treat anything holy as common, you are literally 
completely removing yourself from that place of engaging with and understanding the power of what's holy. You know, the reason why we we so often miss what's holy, right before our eyes even, it could be right in front of us, and it's because our mind is caught up in the routine of what's common. And so we begin to treat holy things and holy places and holy men and women as if they were common. That's a dangerous place place to be. Um, That's a scary thing to do. And, you know, so I think about this when you're in church, um, if, if, you know, Yahweh has you plugged into a certain body of people or a tribe of people, um, then those that are pouring out the word of Yahweh to you, that are ministering to you what's on the Father's heart, when you're receiving from them, the most dangerous thing you could do is to treat their words and their, um, their identity in your life, their position in your life, as though it were common. Because there, there's a holy transmission that is taking place. And the best way that I can make it practical when I want to treat something as if it is holy and not common, that there are, there are uncommon words coming out of my spiritual father father that are giving me life, um, then what I want to do is trade. I take my money and I financially invest it because common words, I don't, I don't give any money or, or attach my life and attach my finances to common words. People talk to me all the time every day, and I don't throw money at them. But what I do, practically speaking, to attach honor and to attach an uncommon regard to what Yahweh has placed in my life so that I maintain a posture of making it holy in my life is I've trade into it. And so um, that's just one thing that I like to do to make it practical. But, you know, we miss what's holy because we treat it as if it's common. And so if we would simply shift the way we think about our routines— about where we are every day, the people that are around us, our tribe, our our ministers, our pastors, apostles, leaders, whatever it might be, the, the people in the place, even ourselves, you know, th- tr- tr- just thinking about ourselves and our everyday life, our jobs, our marriages, our families, um, and choose to regard every person and every moment as divinely uncommon, set apart. Regard it as holy, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Treat it as holy, honor it. Then I believe we would most effectively give place to an environment where you can enjoy the beautiful sound of heaven, where you can tap into the beautiful sound and frequencies of our Father and His heavenly realms and our um, our heavenly seats with Him. And so I want to leave you with a mystery um, and this mystery is um, is in the letter Tet. Now, Tet is um, the the ninth Hebrew letter, and it represents a basket, or, or it represents what contains the blessing of Yahweh. Um, and there's a book called Friends of Eber. Um, it's it's a kind of a mystical approach to engaging with the Hebrew letters. Um, it was written. It was published by Scroll. Um, Scrolls of Zebulun, and it's available at www.scrollsofzebulun.com. You can also get it, I believe, in um, as an ebook or as a physical copy at gatesofzionmobile.org. But it was written by five oracles from our house, and you know Eber reveals that Tet is um, an incredible thing. That it basically comes down to what you choose to put in your basket. And um, I wanted to read a few things about, um, about Tet and just leave you with this, this mystery. Um, um, Aaron Smith says this about Tet. He says, Eber reveals to me that Tet is exceptional in its place and position. 
Tet is usually interpreted as representing the good and evil of man, but in the up here of Zion, it has somewhat of a different role. Tet in Zion reveals the great slash good and terrible slash evil of what we will be as we release Yahweh's sounds and faces from our speaking places. These sounds and decrees declare the glory of Yahweh into all the earth. Incredible. Um, Oracle Teresa Bowen says this about Tet. Tet is the basket, and what is in that basket is determined by each of us individually. The basket contains what we engage in, natural and spiritual, whether good or evil. As Yahweh's sons engaging in his kingdom world of the up here, our basket is filled with his abundant life, his glory, and mystery. Engaging Tet from our basket, we will draw out the intent of our hearts. So I just want to leave you today as as we discuss um, how to perceive, to, to pay attention, to treat um, the, the life that is around us and the sound that is around us and our engagement as, it's, as it is holy, to, to treat it as anything but common, to, to treat it with a regard that is worthy of our trade and our focus, our attention. Um, as, w- as we discuss that, I want to leave you with this mystery of Tet. What are you putting in your basket? What are you engaging? Are you engaging your life every day as though it were common? Are you engaging the people around you in your workplace, in your school, wherever it is at your church? Are you engaging them as if they're just everyday people, a part of your routine and they're common? Or are you treating your life and your day and every step you take as though it is powerful and holy and righteous? That is the mystery of how we make the everyday nature of our life feel like an absolute adventure. Because everyday walking with Yahweh should be a passion-filled, awe and wonder-filled journey of adventure into all of the unknown of who he is and who he's created us to be. So I bless you with this message today. I pray that it changes the way you think and that you are overwhelmed with peace as you make the decision to treat everything in your life as though it is nothing but holy and uncommon. So I bless you and I look forward to speaking to you soon in another podcast. Shalom.